Google for anything. 72,000 results on Google means no connection whatsoever because the internet today contains every possible sequence of every possible sentence and every possible combination of sentences that you could possibly put together. And you could go Google right now, Joel Spolsky is a space alien, and I'll bet there are a million results for that as well. Uh, what, what I was missing, actually, is the real story, which is that statins have massively reduced instances of heart attacks, and uh, down by 60 or 70 percent. And that's the real story, and you miss that because you search for the wrong thing. The search engines don't really help you, and that's kind of another problem with the state of the internet right now. And a, kind of a much larger example of that, which I'm sure you've heard of, is that millions of people are now starting to convince themselves that vaccines cause autism, which, by the way, they don't. Um, and uh, this is causing a huge problem, and we're starting to see outbreaks of diseases that we already had a cure for in 1963. And that's a little bit depressing. And it's because you can kind of find anything you want on the internet. And I think these things, 2019 is going to be the year of the backlash uh, against uh, tech and the internet. This is going to be the year we're all going to be reading a lot of op-eds, and the op-eds are going to be complaining about Facebook doing this thing and causing that thing, and op-eds are going to complain about the stupid millennials with their stupid smartphones and how everybody is walking around looking at their phone all day long, but they're also really lonely and they're misinformed, and by the way, the Russians caused them to vote for the wrong person, and all this horrible stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I've been in the tech industry for about three decades now, so that entitles me to say two things. One, get off my lawn, and two, I actually kind of think that the net, there's a huge net positive here of the internet, and we've made a lot of progress, and this stuff is really good uh, for us in general. Um, but that there are a lot of problems, and so I wanted to analyze those a little bit, and I wanted to see if there's something that we could do better. Uh, a lot of, a very limited number of giant Fortune 500 for-profit companies, maybe Google, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, very small number of companies are actually able to shape and impact and control in some way an awful lot of the opinion and the thought and the speech that goes through the internet right now. A lot of sort of society is kind of going through decisions that those, those companies are making right now, and there's a lot of it uh, that's up to them. And it's an interesting question is how those companies really make decisions. Um, it's a little bit ridiculous to even say that, but they're not democracies. Uh, and I don't think we expected them, company, to operate as a democracy, or we really needed them to operate as a democracy. They're just sort of, it's a kind of a take it or leave it basis, you either like what they're doing or, I don't know, don't use the internet. Um, and sometimes they do the right thing. For example, if you do Google vaccines autism right now, you will see that actually in that area Google is doing the right thing. Uh, a lot of them do the wrong thing, and so an example of that, I don't even have to give you an example of that, Facebook on, on a weekday. Um, so I want to take one particular example of how these companies, which are not run as democracies, are, are really governed, and maybe there's a different way they should be governed. And uh, let's look at the example of free speech or free expression um, as one typical example, because that's going to be coming up um, a lot, because a lot of the speech that does happen, a lot of the expression that happens now happens on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, etc., where it's being governed in a non-democratic way. Now, I think we generally agree that free speech or free expression is a valuable thing to society that we need it. And I think we also generally agree that private companies don't actually have an obligation to provide it. Uh, that's, not, that, that's not protected by the First Amendment. But if we support the First Amendment, that's because we like free speech and we like it for a reason. So let's try to figure out uh, what we need here. The first problem, I think, with free speech is uh, drawing lines. At some point, you really kind of have to figure out what you're going to allow. And this is what we might have thought of in college as the yelling fire in a crowded theater problem, which is even a hardcore free speech advocate doesn't think that all speech is necessarily going to be allowed. And that means that you do have to draw the lines at some particular points. If you're a tech company, you're running a business too, and you don't want to put up speech that's going to really cause a problem with the business and the advertisers necessarily. 
Some line has to be drawn. There is no version of a social network that's running uh, an absolutely completely free speech um, platform, and that's okay. Um, but there is a gray area. Um, fake news, as I mentioned, is uh, gonna be a real big gray area. Uh, I think that the type of fake news which you see all the time, which is that Brad and Jennifer are getting back together and they're gonna have a baby, that's awesome. I see that all the time, it's not true, sadly. Um, but that's fake news that I can live with, personally. Fake news is just totally made up, however, and then starts to influence elections. It's another problem. Uh, another area I might take that's sort of interesting, uh, where it's hard to draw the line, is erotica, or adult content. And a good example of that is that a couple of months ago, the um, formerly popular website Tumblr decided to ban all adult content. And this was somewhat hilarious, because uh, they were not super successful oh. at doing that. And they never really explained what they meant by adult content uh, that they were going to ban. Uh, they never really defined it. And so where do you draw the line? What about belly buttons? Do we allow belly buttons? Will those be permitted on Tumblr? Um, probably, right? I don't know. In some cultures, that would not be an acceptable form of content. And so as soon as you start trying to make these decisions, uh, you get into an awful lot of trouble. And then you get into another problem, which is even if you can make these decisions about whether or not to allow belly buttons, is that the scale of the problem is insane. You have billions of people posting billions of things on social networks all the time, and you can't police it all. You can try to hire a lot of moderators, and that's what these companies are doing. Uh, but it's not working very well. There's companies like uh, YouTube, which is owned by Google, and Facebook have literally hired tens of thousands of people. A lot of times they're outsourced workers in call centers overseas, and their job is to respond to complaints and essentially to police all this kind of content. The rules are really bizarre, and there's a secret 1,400-page rule book, apparently, that Facebook moderators are supposed to be following, nobody knows what it says, but the parts that we've seen appear to be full of gaps, biases, and outright errors. And then moderators have about 10 seconds to judge whether or not something should be allowed. And so the chances that a group of well-meaning people in Silicon Valley are really going to be able to correctly police speech on the internet and draw that line between admissible and inadmissible speech is vanishingly small. So what do we do? Um, I heard a talk last year from Matthew Prince, and Matthew is speaking here, by the way, tomorrow, so make a note to go listen to him. He's the CEO of Cloudflare. Um, Cloudflare is a cloud networking platform. They provide internet connectivity, basically. They used to think of themselves as we're just a pipe company. Our job is to transmit bits from point A to point B. We don't care how you interpret those bits or what they mean. Not our problem, none of our business. But one day, a bunch of Nazis pissed them off. And they decided to hell with it. You're Nazis, goodbye, we're not doing business with you. Kicked them off the platform. And this caused a certain amount of turmoil internally inside the company. And a lot of people said, hey, if we're kicking them off for being Nazis, who's to say we shouldn't also kick off any of the other kinds of speech that we don't find admissible or, or acceptable? And now all of a sudden, we're the speech guardian to the universe, and that's practically impossible. So what Matthew said, which I thought was really interesting, is that even before you can have these debates, and even before you start sitting around trying to decide what types of speech you're going to allow, you need something called due process, which I shall explain in a moment. You have to have due process or rule of law, or you can't really successfully decide whether to allow belly buttons or Nazis or whatever it is that you don't want to allow. And by the way, this is something that the existing social networks have gotten completely wrong. They do not have due process. I'll get to that, but let's define it really quickly. Due process consists of three components. Number one is transparency. I should be able to figure out what the rules are. If I don't know what they are, I should be able to look it up. It should be published. That's transparency. Number two is consistency. The rules shall apply equally to all people and in all, in, all, in all areas. They should be applied consistency, whatever those rules are. You don't get sort of special exceptions whereby if you're the president, you're allowed to threaten people with bodily harm. The rules should apply to everybody equally. And finally, accountability and this is an important part, which is that if you don't like the way the rule has been enforced, you should be able to appeal it. There should be a way to adjudicate it. There should be a, a, a process by which you get things uh, improved and fixed. And there should be a system for changing the rules when you don't like the rules. 
So that's not really democracy. That's kind of almost a lower bar, a much lower bar than democracy and a lower bar than freedom of speech, which is let's get some um, rule, of, rule of law going. If you don't, if you leave these things out, all kinds of things go wrong, and you can see it because the social networks are leaving them out. So for example, when you don't have transparency, you get this amazing thing, which you see all the time, which is, sounds like a, it's more than a conspiracy. It's almost like a conspiracy trope, which is, oh, they have a secret agenda they're not telling us. They are, it might be the mainstream media when you hear those words. It's usually a complaint about something with a secret agenda or the Silicon Valley elites with their weird crypto libertarian burning man agenda. Who the heck knows what they're trying to do here to us. Um, but they won't tell us, and they're obviously doing it because somebody's getting rich or their financial agenda or whatever. And all that comes from a lack of transparency. And the less transparency you have, the more fuel these conspiracy theories have to rage. When you don't have consistency, um, it makes it impossible to know what the policy is going to be. And so uh, it, it's very hard sort of for society to work. The lack of consistency honestly leads to a lack of civilization in some ways. The fact that you know that you're allowed to make a right turn on red, and everybody knows that, we all agree that, whether we want them to be allowed to make a right turn on red or not, it's allowed. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that makes civilization really work. And accountability is a really important one, because accountability says, if you don't like the way a decision was made, you know that you can appeal it, ultimately. You can call your credit card company. Good luck calling YouTube. If they take one of your videos, they don't even have a phone number. And Without these things, people stop being engaged in the social network. And the reason when you're Facebook and YouTube, you have to hire 10,000 or 15,000 moderators is that your community can't do the moderating work for you. And they can't do the moderating work for you because there's no consistency and there's no transparency. And most of all, there's no accountability, so they don't care. And what you've created is a kindergarten where you have to babysit a bunch of spectators rather than a real community or a real civilization. So essentially, nobody's very happy about what's going on right now, least of all Facebook, which is hiring thousands of people, and YouTube has hired 10,000 people to watch videos on YouTube, which are probably the really bad ones, not the makeup tutorials, but the horrifying videos that have to be removed, is what, what they're watching all day long, and that sounds extremely traumatic and terrible. Um, and so I have a sort of simple proposal, which is let's just get due process, let's get transparency, consistency and accountability on the social networks. And when you start with that, these communities will moderate themselves and we'll get civilization. It's not gonna be perfect because we're not really gonna be able to agree on 100% of the rules, but we'll have a system and then we'll agree that the system is worth enforcing and that's what rule of law really means. Now, if you think I'm crazy or you think I'm a dreamer or you think this is completely impossible, we've been doing this on Stack Overflow now for 10 years. We have transparency, you can find out what the rules are, we apply them, almost entirely consistency, and best of all, there's a lot of accountability, and there's ways to appeal, and there's ways to discuss these things. And it's worked really well, and we've done, we've created a site with 130 million monthly visitors on Stack Overflow, where there is uh, almost no moderators. We have less than a dozen people that actually work for us, and they're just here to kind of help the community themselves self-moderate, and that works really well for us. Now, we're not perfect, and there's a lot more that we could do for diversity and inclusion. There's a lot more we could do to be friendly to newcomers on Stack Overflow, but we have managed to create this resource with very high quality content uh, in a universe where um, everybody else is sort of struggling um, through the process of transparency, consistency, and accountability. Thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Joel. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before you leave, take a look at the screens. Back in this room at 1.40, we are going to be making history. We are going to be closing the NASDAQ market right on the stage live. So please go get some lunch. different perspectives around the table and also that that team is going to be great at recruiting different kinds of people. Now, now some people will come and be like, hey, I know our team is all guys and we're all white.
why guys and that's one of the reasons why we love to work with different people around our investment like around our board tables because we really want to build a company culture that is inclusive and diverse and has all kinds of people we need help with that because we don't we don't know enough of those people so that's okay but it's something that i think when the market for talent is more competitive than ever. You need to be able to, and also we know that having different people around a table is gonna get you better decisions and build better products. Like, that's an imperative, I think, to a delivery company today. So I, I totally agree, um, says the 45-year-old white guy, but um, the, the challenge is if everybody on your, your leadership team look the same, you're gonna all come up with the same ideas. And so they actually don't add any like incremental value. What you want are people who are gonna challenge what you think and come yeah. up with different ideas and think differently. Yeah. And so diversity often gets a bad rap because they think, you know, people are like, well, you know, I, I, there's some quote, it's not a quota thing. Companies, for you to be successful, whether you're trying to start your own company, you're building a team, um, you work in a team, you are successful when there's diversity of ideas. Yeah. You cannot innovate with everybody thinking the same way. So it's very, very pragmatic. Yeah. So uh, different different question. What um, I mean, you talked about when you were at at, um, uh, at the investment bank. Uh-huh. You know, you invest. You were a client for a long time. What patterns recognize? Like, what are the patterns you see in successful entrepreneurs and successful executives? Like, yeah. what do they look like? So, um, one of the things we talked about, and like, I think you're probably a great example of it because you've been doing your building and running your company for 15 years. Is we look for people who are learners. So, um, in the you know, the, there's so much money right now that you can raise from all over the place that it used to be that we would keep, we could get to know founders over the course of a month before we made an investment decision. But now it's like. A lot of times founders will come and be like, hey, I, I just started and I have a lot of interest. So like, if you could decide in a week or two, that'd be great. And that's hard because you're not really getting a chance to get to know people who you're not going to be able to get divorced from, basically. And we're not getting a chance to get to know you. But one of the things we look for quickly is, are you a learner? Like, what have you figured out since you came up with this idea? Like, how realistic are you about how hard it's going to be, about what could go wrong? And what have you done to try and figure out how you can overcome those risks? Or if you didn't know how to sell something before, if you didn't know how to build something before, if you didn't know how to hire someone before, like how did you, what have you shown with no money to that you are a person who figures stuff out? So I love that. And whenever Insight sells, and when we, when we grow like crazy, it's because we're super adaptive, we learn. When I get arrogant and think I know everything, sure enough, like we slow down a little bit, and then I get humbled, and then we begin to grow. Like my favorite technique, is I love taking people to lunch and learning from them. Mm-hmm. Like, because people love to share. So if you, little trick, go invite somebody to lunch that you want to learn from. Say, look, I'm buying lunch, let's go to Bajos or whatever. And just bring a notepad and just say, like, what would you do differently? Here's what I'm thinking. And it does, you don't have to be starting a company. Like, yeah. just anything that people love to share their lessons learned. I think that's actually one of the things, like asking people that you don't know to lunch, or to grab a coffee or something, it's one of the things that may have saved my job when I was a cleaner. Like when I was a cleaner, there were a lot of big personalities, the partners who were kind of famous partners. I had this one partner who like, I don't think he really liked me very much. And I don't think he thought that I added that much value. And I was working with one of our portfolio companies, Bloom Energy, that's a fuel cell company. And uh, like fuel cells are really hard. And so I was just thinking about how can I help this company? And so I made a list of all the companies in the space that had failed had a hard time and I just started cold calling the CEOs and asked if I could take them for coffee and I interviewed them and I wrote up all my interviews in a little memo and I sent them to the CEO of the company. I was like, hey, I was thinking about as we think about going to market, like unpack and the CEO sent it to the partner who didn't like me and it was like, look at this thing that she did for me. It's amazing. I never asked for this. And then that partner called the partner that I was working with because I was an associate and I was like you know, Aileen, I didn't think she was so smart before, but I think maybe I should rethink my assessment. <laughs> right, and it's super risky though. Yeah. It's super risky, and so I, I love that. Like, you kind of lower your, your pride down a little bit. Yeah. Just try stuff. Um, yeah. I think we all can do more than we trust ourselves to. And then people are more willing to help than you think. For sure, right? Um, look, you're gonna you're gonna ask somebody to go to lunch. I'm gonna have like twenty thousand people want to go to lunch. <laughs> I will not have to buy lunch for the next five years, or yeah. no one actually cares. But you're gonna get shut down by some people. But so what? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, that's how this, these companies are built. Everybody has like taken risk, lowered their pride, tried things they they don't know how to do. So if you're gonna give three pieces of yeah. advice, or you know, 
to, to the, the group yeah. here, whether you're trying to start your own thing, mm -hmm. you're trying to kickstart your, 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 your current role, like, how, what, give two or three pieces of advice to the, the group here. Um, well, I think, first of all, there's never been a better time to build a company in Utah. Uh, and I don't know if I'm for good ones, but uh, you know, for a long time, Silicon Valley has been the center of the tech coming on for And I think Silicon Valley, there are so, so many companies have been built there. There are also so many companies that have gone public or are about to go public. There's an article today about how many new millionaires are going to be created with Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and the Pinterest and all these other companies go public. And, there's going to be a lot of people who don't have the hunger to actually, and apartments are going to get even more expensive, houses are going to be even more expensive. Like if we thought it was bad to try and basically hire people to work for a fraction of what Google or Facebook would pay you like last year at Silicon Valley, in three years it's going to be insanely impossible. And so I think both like now that there's there have been so many examples of people who came without like the Airbnb founders who didn't have to work in the hotel industry, right? Who are coming from the outside who have an idea and build something that disrupts an industry. People around the world are inspired by that. And there's enough people who see those examples and see that they want to do it in a place where they can live in an apartment and actually save money every month or live in a house and send their kids to public school and not have to battle traffic to, you know, spend 20 minutes in the car to get five blocks. And that's that's Park City and Salt Lake City and Denver and San Diego and Seattle and Portland. So like, hopefully you'll be seeing me more here. Um, and also the other thing is software and technology has an opportunity to impact every industry. Like one of the things that we talk about at Cowboy that is our main focus, one of the areas that we're looking to invest in is what we call unsexy tech. Um, you know, there have been a lot of consumer things or front-end things that, that users see that are kind of like the sexy industries or the sexy products, but whether you're in healthcare or education or sales or operations or supply chain, there are still so many businesses that have never gotten good software. And those are all huge markets that are ready now because people have had iPhones for a decade. All the people who work in that company want great software. And so there's an opportunity to build what we call unsexy tech in all kinds of markets. And I think investors are more receptive to coming here, to not telling you to have to move, but to stay here and build a great company here uh, and in an industry that maybe didn't seem like an exciting one in the past, like more than ever. All right, so look, I think we're out of time. Um, tons of, I think tons of good lessons learned. Um, She's amazingly approachable, so reach out. If you have ideas, if you have questions, pitch your idea. You're all now personally connected to Aileen. Um, guys, give her a hand. Amazing. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Big round of applause again for Aileen and Dave. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, brother. Hope you have a good trip, George. Uncle Billy and I. Don't look now, but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Now, just remember that this thing isn't as black as it appeared. I have some news for you, folks. I was just talking to old man Potter, and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's going to reopen next week. But, George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? Well, no, Charlie. I didn't even ask him. We don't need Potter over here. But I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're... You're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Maitland's house, and, and a hundred others. Uh, you're lending them the money to build, and then they're going to pay it back to you as best they can. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? I got $242 in here, and $242 isn't going to break anybody. Okay, Tom. All right. Here you are. You sign this. You get your money in 60 days. For 60 days? Well, now, that's what you agreed to when you bought your shares. Tom, Tom, Tom did you get your money? No. Well, I did. Old man Potter will pay 50 cents on the dollar for every share you got. 50 cents on the dollar? Yes, cash. Well, what do you say? No, Tom, you have to stick to your original agreement. Now, give us 60 days on this. Okay, thing. Randall. Are you going to Potter's? Better to get half than nothing. Tom! Tom! Randall! Now, Randall, wait! Now, wait! Now, listen. 
Now listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple, because we're cutting in on his business, that's why. And because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. Joe, you had one of those Potter houses, didn't you? Well, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he charged you for that broken down shack? Here, Ed, you know, you remember last year when things weren't going so well and you couldn't make your payments? Well, you didn't lose your house, did you? You think Potter would have let you keep it? Can't you understand what's happening here? Don't you see what's happening? Potter isn't selling, Potter's buying. And why? Because we're panicky and he's not, that's why. He's picking up some bargain. Now, we, we can get through this thing, all right. We, we've got to stick together, though. We've got to have faith in each other. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens? i got Dr. Bills to pay. I need cash. I can't keep my kids on faith. I've got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. That'll close my account. Your account's still here. That's a loan. Okay. All right, Ed. Well, I got $300 here, George. All right, now, Ed, what'll it take until the bank opens? What do you need? Well, I suppose... Twenty dollars? Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right. Now, Miss Thompson, how much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. Never mind about that. How much do you well, want now? I can get along with twenty, all right. Twenty dollars. Fine. And I'll sign yeah, the papers. Yeah. You don't have to sign anything. I know. You, you pay when you can. That's okay. All right, Miss Davis. Could I have seventeen fifty? That's your heart. Of course you can have it. You got fifty cents. Seven. We're gonna make it, George. Six. It'll never close us up today. Five. Four. Three. Two, one, bingo! We made it! Close the door, you sis. We made it. Look, look, we're still in business. We've still got two bucks left. Well, look, let's have some of that. Let's Santiago was a substandard Marine. He was being transferred. That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You right. said he was in danger. I said grave danger. You said, is there I any recall other... what I, I said. I can have the court reporter read back to you. I know what I said. I don't have to have it read back to me like I'm... Why the two orders? Colonel? Sometimes men take matters into their own hands. No, sir. You made it clear just a moment ago that your men never take matters in their own hands. Your men follow orders or people die. So Santiago shouldn't have been in any danger at all, should he have, Colonel? You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut person. these guys loose! Your Honor, you have Marcus inside of bony transport. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn, you coerced the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. You. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! We'll go on to the next question. You, sir. My name's Stephen. Uh, I'm a junior, and my question's for Will McAvoy. Do you consider yourself Democrat, Republican, or Independent? I consider myself a New York Jets fan, Stephen. <laughs> Since it's been brought up, you've almost religiously avoided stating or even implying a political allegiance. Is that because, as a news anchor, you feel the integrity of your broadcast would be compromised? That sounds like a good answer. I'll take it. <laughs> there was a short piece on Vanity Fair's website uh, by Marshall Westbrook. You probably saw it, where he calls you the Jay Leno of news anchors. You're popular because you don't bother anyone. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Jealous of the size of Jay's audience. <laughs> Are you willing to say here tonight whether you lean right or left? I voted for candidates run by both major parties. Let's move on to the next question. Go ahead. Hi. My name is Jenny. I'm a sophomore, and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what... <laughs> um, you know what I mean.
Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. <laughs> no, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, Lewis and Sharon said it. Diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. <laughs> I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is it not the greatest the country in the world? Professor, that's my answer. You're saying yes. You're... Let's talk about fine. The... Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors, we put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? Too much pressure. That's my problem. I can't, I can't handle pressure. Sometimes pressure makes me talk different. I'm serious. You ever have like that social pressure? You ever talk to somebody who's fake and they make you fake? Like, they come to you like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, fine, how are you? And you're like, I 
don't even talk like that. I get sick of that shit. I do, it just makes me sick. Sometimes I'll talk crazy just to make myself feel better. You ever do that? Just start talking like crazy. Like, you ever hear this voice? Man. That's, that's how bad guys used to talk in the 40s. In the old days. See, I, used, I talk like that. Not all the time, but if somebody put the pressure on me, fuck it, I gotta, I gotta cut loose. And the police pull me over, I, I'll talk crazy. Son, son. Do you know why we pulled you over? Nah, because I'm black, see? That's right. Nah. I do it. It's not illegal to talk like that. How do they know I don't talk like that every day? Stop talking like that. Stop talking like white copper. Nah. That's how I talk, see? You got to make life interesting like that because the shit is flimsy. Life is flimsy. You, you think you're going to live forever, but I'm not going to live forever. It's dangerous out here. We know what's going on. I travel now, you know. I used to think D.C. had the roughest ghettos in the country. Nah, nigga. Uh-uh. <laughs> I have seen some shit now. <laughs> oh, there's some rough, rough areas outside of D.C. Yeah, everybody should go to the ghetto. I was taken to the ghetto one time. That's the worst. When you get taken and you're not expecting to go. <laughs> you know, usually you want to know when you're going to the ghetto, like, I'm going to see some wild shit. I got to prepare myself. I'm going to see something crazy. When you're taken, it's different. I had a limousine driver. It was after a show. It was late at night. It was like 3 in the morning. I had a limousine driver. He was a nice guy talking to me and shit. Oh, hey, where you from, dog? D.C.? Where? That's a rough city, man. And the cell phone started ringing. Hold on one second. Hello? Oh, what's up, nigga? What? What the fuck? Slow that. What? What the fuck? No! 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 Fuck that, nigga. Fuck it. I'm on my way. Hey. I gotta make a stop real quick. At 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know he was taking me to the ghetto at first. I started looking out the window. I was like, what the fuck? Is gun store, gun store, liquor store, gun store. Where the fuck are you taking me? This don't look good. He didn't say shit. He just pulled up in front of an old rickety building that looked like a project. Now, I've never been there before. I'm not sure if it was a project, but it certainly had all the familiar symptoms of a project. <laughs> a, a, a fucking crackhead ran this way. <laughs> And then, and then another one jumped out of a tree and shit. <laughs> and I said, I'll be right back. <laughs> and left me. Took the keys with him and just left me. At 3 o'clock in the morning, in front of a project, in a fucking limousine. <laughs> this was not good. I was like, man, I got to look around and see if I can see some landmarks and figure out where I'm at. Might have to escape on foot. Now, this is when I knew I was in a bad neighborhood. You only see this in the worst neighborhoods. Remember, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I look out the window. It was a fucking baby standing on a corner. <laughs> and the baby, the baby didn't even look scared. He was just standing there. I mean, it made me sad. It made me sad, really. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to help the baby. <laughs> well, mm, I don't trust you either. I'm sorry. Click. Click. The old baby on the corner trick, eh? I'm not going to fall for that shit. Where's this limousine driver? You know, I stopped feeling bad. As time goes by, I start feeling worse. Like, man, what is wrong with me? What the hell is wrong? I'm scared of a baby. And this baby could be in trouble. He might need my help. I got to do something. But I wasn't going to get out the car. I'm serious, man. I just cracked the window a little bit. There's an old limousine. I can roll it down. 
Hey, baby. <laughs> baby, go home, man. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What the fuck are you doing up? for being that loud? Hey, too late. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God, it's early. Speaking of early, how about that Cro-Magnon, Marty Drywitz? Thank you, Marty, for silky smooth sound. Make me sound like Peggy Lee. Freddie and the Dreamers. The wrong speed. We've got it on the wrong speed. For those of you who are recovering from a hangover, that's going to sound just right. Let's pull it right back down. Let's try a little faster. See if that picks it up a little bit. Let's get up on 718. Those pilots are going right now. I really like the music. I really like the music. I really like the music. Oh, still a bad song. Hey, wait a minute. Let's try something. Let's play this backwards and see if it gets any better. Hey, can you help me? What's your name? My name's Roosevelt Lee Roosevelt. Roosevelt, what town are you stationed in? I'm stationed in Poontang. Well, thank you, Roosevelt. What's the weather like out there? It's hot. Damn hot. Real hot. Hotter than this is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little crotch pot cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Fool, what is hot? I told you again. Were you born on the sun? It's damn hot. You can be a little thing. I saw it so damn hot. I saw one of those little guys in the orange robe burst into flames. It's that hot. You know what I'm talking about. But what do you think it's going to be like tonight? It's going to be hot and wet. That's nice if you're with a lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. Thank you, Roosevelt. Here's a song coming your way right now. Nowhere to Run To by Martha and the Vandellas. Yes. Hey, you know what I mean. <laughs> Better than AFVD, which means you have to get a quick shot. We're moving on right now. We are simply mimicking what the computer already told us. You know, a lot of toes were stepped on in order to set this up for today. And, and frankly, I'm, I really don't know what you gentlemen plan to gain by it. Can we get serious now? Captain? We've all heard about the computer simulations, and now we are watching actual sims, but I can't quite believe you still have not taken into account the human factor. Human piloted simulations show that you could make it back to the airport. No, they don't. These pilots were not behaving like human beings, like people who are experiencing this for the first time. Well, they may not be reacting like you did. Immediately after the bird strike, they are turning back for the airport, just as in the computer sims, correct? That is correct. They obviously knew the term and exactly what heading to fly. They did not run a check. They did not switch on the APU. They had all the same parameters that you faced. No one warned us. No one said you were going to lose both engines at a lower altitude than any jet in history. But be cool. Just 
make a left turn for LaGuardia like you're going back to pick up the milk. This was dual engine loss at 2,800 feet, followed by an immediate water landing with 155 souls on board. No one has ever trained for an incident like that. No one. In the Teterboro landing, with its unrealistic bank angle, we were not the Thunderbirds up there. I'd like to know how many times the pilot practiced that maneuver before he actually pulled it off. I'm not questioning the pilots. They're good pilots. But they've clearly been instructed to head for the airport immediately after the bird strike. You've allowed no time for analysis or decision making. In these simulations, you've taken all of the humanity out of the cockpit. How much time did the pilots spend planning for this event, for these simulations? You are looking for human error. Then make it human. sitting out there for the last half hour trying to come up with a story that would explain my being here dressed like this. And, and I wanted to come up with a story that would demonstrate qualities that I'm sure you all admire here, like, like earnestness or diligence and team playing to something. And I couldn't think of anything. So the truth is, I was arrested for failure to pay parking tickets. Parking tickets? <laughs> and I ran all the way here from the, the Polk station, the police station. What were you doing before you were arrested? I was uh, painting my apartment. Is it dry now? <laughs> I hope so. Jay says you're pretty determined. Oh, he's been waiting outside the front of the building with some 40-pound gizmo for over a month. He said you're smart. I like to think so. And you want to learn this business? Yes, sir, I want to learn this business. Have you already started learning on your own? Absolutely. Jay. Yes, sir. How many times have you seen Chris? No, I don't know. One too many, apparently. Is he ever dressed like this? No. No. Jacket and tie. First in your class? In school? High school? Yes, sir. How many in the class? Uh, Twelve. It's a small town. <laughs> I'll say. But I was also first in my radar class in, in the Navy, and that was a class of 20. Can I say something? Um, I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what? I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. Is that fair enough? Chris, what would you say if a guy walked in for an interview without a shirt on? And I hired him. What would you say? He must have had on some really nice pants. play. Mr. Cruz, you do not want to know the answer to that question. Now, as I was saying, as a team, we shot 56% from the line. From now on, before you leave my gym, you must pay an exit price of 50 made free throws before you can go. That's everybody. That's a lot of free throws. Okay, Mr. Cruz, before you can play on this team, you owe me 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides. Damn. Damn. 
Oh, and they must be completed by Friday. Today's flavor, offense. Now we're talking. Now I have a sister. Her name is Linda. Linda is smart. She's political. Well, actually, she's radical. Linda's got a big afro. Linda is our pick and roll offense. Before we get into that, let's warm up. Give me a layup line. Go. I got him, I got him, right here, right here, I'm open, I'm open, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, come on, let's get it, they call out them picks, yeah, yeah, alright, see ya, move up, give up, Mr. Cruz, go home, you know your task is impossible before Friday, right? Work it, work it! Run it back! Clay. Mr. Cruz. I'm impressed with what you've done. But you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides too. count. Call me when they're done. Come on, come on. Let's group! Let's go, let's go! you just did, you're gonna get flat. He's been depressed. All of a sudden he can't do anything. Why are you depressed, Albie? Tell Dr. Flicker. It's something he read. Something he read, huh? The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything. And if it's expanding, someday it will break apart and that will be the end of everything. What is that your business? He stopped doing his homework. What's the point? What has the universe got to do with it? You're here in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not expanding. It won't 
be expanding for billions of years, you know, Albie. And we've got to try to enjoy ourselves while we're here, huh? Huh? I heard someone say that a junk drawer is a metaphor for your life, like we're holding on to things that we don't need to hold on to, that we should let go of. I don't know if that's true. People are always looking into things and looking for signs of what things mean, and I don't know. I, uh, for a while there, I was, um, every time I looked at the clock, it was 11.11, and every time, and I, I started wondering, like, what does this mean? And for me, it was a dead battery, but... <laughs> We all have people that, we, like, we know that, that look into signs way, way too much. Like, you know, they'll be like, oh, I don't know if I should be in this relationship. Oh, there's a squirrel. Squirrels live in trees. Trees have leaves. I should leave him. <laughs> I think we're all looking for signs because we're all looking for validation that we're on the right path. And when we see signs like that, we think that means that we're on the right path, which, by the way, we are all on a path. We're all on our own individual path. Nobody should be on anybody else's path. We should be on our own path. <laughs> Unless you're lost in the woods and you see a path, follow that. But, <laughs> but I think that signs do help us, and I think that if we pay attention to those signs, they do guide us, and some signs are easier to spot than others. And I had something that was pretty significant that happened to me. And um, I didn't even know I was struggling with, with coming out. I mean, whenever you're closeted, you're always thinking about it. It's, it's on your mind because you're worried that someone's going to find out. You're worried that someone's going to know. And, and so it is on your mind. So subconsciously, we're aware of that. But I didn't realize that until I had this dream I had a dream that I was holding a baby finch, like a little precious bird, and it was my pet. And I put it back in its cage, which was this beautiful multi-tiered bamboo cage. And the bird became me when it went into the cage. And all of a sudden it realized that it was up against a window all along, and the window was open, and the bars were wide enough for the bird to fly out, and it had been the whole time. And I looked at the bird, and I said, don't leave, you're safe in here. And the bird looked at me and said, I don't belong in here, and flew out. And the next morning I woke up and I said, I'm coming out. Before I had that dream, I didn't realize I was in a cage. I had no idea I was in a cage. I had a great life. I had a successful sitcom. I had fame. I had money. I had everything that I thought that was important. But I was hiding a part of myself. And whenever we hide anything from anybody, it's because we're worried about what someone else is going to think of us. And even though I knew that was going to be difficult. I had gotten to the point where it was more important for me to feel proud of who I was and live my truth than worry about what other people thought of me. And and that time after I came out was really one of the hardest periods of my life. It was. But it was the best part of my journey because it's, it's when I realized how strong I was. It's when I learned compassion. It's when I learned that the truth will always win. And that's, that's when you grow, when you, like everyone has a fear, everyone's scared of something, but it's not until you face that fear head on that you realize your power. And that's when you grow. And that's what we all want. We wanna grow, we wanna feel good about ourselves, we wanna feel proud of who we are. We're all the same. So whether your bath mat scoot is 50 scoots to get to the towel <laughs> or three scoots to get to the towel, whether you're gay or have dry eye, <laughs> we are all the same and we are all relatable.
Thank you. Good luck. And remember, give as much as given, much as required.